I'm Chance. And I'm Sarah Catherine. And this is Conservation Connection. Presented by Last Chance Endeavors. We are a husband and wife team running a wildlife education nonprofit. It's focused on connecting students to their environment. Each week, here on Conservation Connection, we do just that. Introducing you to the groundbreaking science and conservation work that's happening every day across the globe. We talk to professionals in the world of conservation science and wildlife management, and we ask them about their career, their current projects, their wild and crazy stories from the field, and everything in between. This episode is a collaboration with EarthX here in Dallas, Texas. EarthX is the largest Earth Day celebration in the world, and it brings in speakers from every corner of the environmental arena. Listen in to hear the stories of today's environmental titans, covering everything from environmental law, ocean health, renewable energy, clean transportation, and so much more. Let's get to the show. Alrighty guys, welcome to another episode of Conservation Connection. We are here at EarthX 2022, sitting in Dallas, Texas in their podcast studio. Uh, and we are so excited for this episode. We are sitting down with some really power pack names here. And there's so many of them, I'm just gonna give you some first names and I'll let them go around and tell you their full name and where they're from. So we're sitting here with Sophie, Marie Claire, Vina, and Hita. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. So Sophie, start here and we'll go around. Hi, so I'm Sophie Dowd and I'm from the United Kingdom based in London. Hi, my name is Marie Claire and I'm coming from Switzerland. Hello, my name is Veena, Veena Balakrishnan. I'm from India, but I'm currently based in Munich. Hi, I'm Hita Lakhani. I'm from India, coming from Bombay. Awesome. Great to meet you, everyone. So let's just dive right into it. Why are y'all here at EarthX? So um, we're here to launch our Climate Youth Negotiator Program. This is a program aimed at training the next generation of climate change negotiators. So we know that some of the biggest changes in the world to tackle climate change will come through legislation and international action. That gets negotiated at big conferences like the one that happened in Glasgow last year. And really sadly, young people are really underrepresented in those negotiations. They make up just 25% of negotiators at COP25, the one that happened um, in Madrid. They made up just 25%, even though they represent um, nearly two thirds of the world's population. So we are developing a program to train young people to become climate change negotiators on behalf of their countries so that young people can take an active role in international decision making and take up their seat at the decision making table because the decisions made today affect our futures um, and it's important for us to be a part of that. Yeah, that's really awesome because you hear all of this talk about youth empowerment, right? And when I was growing up, I've been involved in green stuff since I was literally five years old. And I was the lucky one that had parents that worked really hard to make sure that, you know, I wasn't into soccer. I was into talking to people about the environment. And so they put as much commitment into making sure I could do that as soccer moms put into getting their kids to practice. So I am extraordinarily fortunate to have had that position. But there are so many young people that don't have that access to becoming advocates and this actually might be the first group that I know of or have interacted with personally that is doing that as just your standard, right? Your The whole point is not to say, oh, the youth matters. It's to take action, to give youth the power to make real change in the world. And that's, I mean, that is a, a really uncommon, unfortunately, thing. And I'm, that's super cool. Yeah. So... Sometimes I know there's different definitions for what we think of as youth. So sometimes people think like, oh, teenagers are youth. What, for your purposes, what do you consider a youth? So for us, we're working within uh, the UN framework. 
And within that, there's a youth constituency that considers youth as anyone under the age of 35 years. Yes, chance. We're still in. <laughs> Barely. Speaking of youth being defined as 35 and under, which is awesome as I'm closing in on my 30th birthday. This is six people in this room. We're all youth, right? We're all here as young people that saw a problem. We're probably all in the same age bracket. And uh, what's really cool about this is that it's not like some 65-year-old that's saying, oh, we should empower the youth. It's youth ourselves who are taking up that charge and making sure that what needs to happen happens. So personally, I always was involved in education, just talking to people about, hey, why should you care about the environment? What you guys are doing is very different, right? It's much more on the legislative side of things. So for you, Marie Claire, how did you decide that you wanted to be more involved in the legislative side of things as somebody who cares about the environment, but specifically trying to make change through diplomacy? Yeah, I, my journey also started with doing things yourself, trying to, you know, use less water, recycle more, don't use plastic and so on. And I just realized it's not going to work, right? I mean, even if all of us are, are doing it, it's not going to work. And also it comes from a place of privilege to be actually able to buy the organic, um, non-packed food and so on, or, or, or train traveling in Europe, which is just like five times, 10 times more expensive than taking a flight. And all of these issues are coming from policies which are unfair and unjust and basically keeping a system running, um, which is outdated and needs to be changed. And this is exactly the system change we are calling for. And this needs to go through policies and it needs to be powered and backed up by the people. And that's how I got involved in first local, then national and afterwards international climate policies. And I have been advocating a lot for it and have been also doing a lot of education and training. But back in 2019, I got the chance to actually negotiate for the government of Switzerland at the international climate negotiations. And this is also where I realized how powerful it can actually be to have young people in the negotiation, but they need to have the right backing and right training to actually be able to stand up and speak up uh, for for what we believe in and, and what we want to see in, in these negotiations. Right. Because that's, I mean, that's super intimidating. I can't even imagine. And I run a a nonprofit that does environmental education, right? I I would like to think that I have some activism in me. But if you told me like, hey, actually, there's a UN meeting right now, I need you to go in and advocate for these specific policies, I would be wildly intimidated. So the kinds of training that you're able to provide for, for this youth is just, I, I can't even imagine how incredible that must be to give them those tools. So how is this training accessed? Is it an online platform? Is it an app? What is it? So it's going to be a little different. Uh, it is not accessible as such to the young people directly to start with. We're going to work this through the countries. So how countries can participate with us is we sign an MOU with a country telling that we will train your young negotiators, uh, youth negotiators. After that, uh, the countries can actually represent one to three young people, sorry, send one to three young people from their delegations who we can train. So, yes, this is a very closed process. It, that's why when Hita also mentioned, it is a very niche uh, training program. So it's not really exactly accessible, but at the same time, we're trying to see how open we can make it because some modules are not very specific to negotiators. Some modules are also for all young people to understand the climate change process, the UN process, and all of those, uh, like how do you cope with the stress at conferences, like climate conferences, etc. So we're going to have, um, let's say, a hybrid module. We're yet to figure out, is it going to be an app? Is it going to be a platform? Which platform it's going to be? But uh, we're launching tomorrow at this conference. And after that, in very soon, you will know where it's going to be accessible. 
And I think that's a really good point is that you're launching this tomorrow. It has not launched yet, right? We're still in the early phases of just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks and what works. And that's exactly what we had to do with our organization is just start doing it and figure it out from there. That's amazing. So Vina, give me a little bit of background on yourself. Where did you get started? How did you become interested in this? Have you always been interested? All right. I think I've always been somebody who... Uh, who's been driven by aligning my actions with my purpose in life and it has kind of fundamentally shaped who I am today. Having said that, I've played a lot of roles, worn a lot of different hats. I did my bachelor's in fashion but I realized that was not me but I ended up doing my thesis in ethical fashion so somehow I kept going towards environment, people, justice, uh, I started my own company after that that focuses on grassroots empowerment and product circularity. Uh, so while I was there, I was like, I need more scientific knowledge. So I decided to do my master's, which brought me to Germany. And that is where I started focusing more on climate specifically. And I started taking more climate policy and climate justice related modules. And uh, Hita, the amazing Hita who's sitting right next to me over here, she was kind enough to introduce me to the whole world of legislation and uh, the UN process itself. And uh, that is, so last year I attended COP26. That was my first COP actually. And it is from there that I realized that this is probably what it is for me and this is what I was looking for. And this is exactly what I want to be working on going forward. That's a really important story because I think probably everybody that we talk to has a, this very circuitous route to get to exactly where you're sitting today. And it's supposed to be that way. I always grew up kind of thinking like, okay, I'll do well in school and then I'll go to college and then I'll get a job and then I'll do good in that job for 40 years and then I'll retire. And that is so not how the world works, right? It is always very roundabout path. And I think that that's how we find what we're really supposed to be doing, right? And for people in this field specifically, it's, I often hear stories of like, just, I had this calling. I always felt like I should be doing something more sustainably or doing something to help and serve other people and serve the planet. And, and that's just, I think that's a very important story to amplify is that, that it is absolutely okay to start doing something and say, Hey, that's not who I am. We should let's, let's reassess this. And how fortunate that you were able to have the means to do that. And as well as the self-awareness to be like, yeah, let's figure this out. With the goals and everything that you're focusing on, there's so much like governmental policy, and that's hard to remember everything, I would imagine. At least I know for me it would be. So what has been the process for y'all to go about getting into this space, learning everything in the areas that you want to learn and need to learn and being able to communicate that effectively and especially to teach other people since that's obviously what you're going to be doing? Yeah, I think I think each of us have our own stories on how we came across it. But for myself, um, my first in into the UN space was back in 2015 in Paris where COP21 was where the Paris Agreement was eventually signed and um, this was basically my first in I of course before that already had a master's in environmental studies but I was doing nothing after my degree that related to the environment I was working as a German language translator back in India so very very far aloof from the environment but the good thing that happened was that when I went to COP21, I said, okay, this is, you know, I, it made me want to come back in the field of environment and climate in general. So a few months later, I quit my job, 
started volunteering and uh, that was sort of slowly got me in into the youth movement got me introduced to other youth organizations that were working in the field uh, nationally as well as internationally and slowly went to the next cop in 2016 and so on and so forth so i got involved into the un system into their youth constituency through the process um and because i went more of like searching by myself and sort of like sort of looking into the dark on like okay what is this and sort of learning it as they came along i actually didn't have to do a lot of the learning by myself uh, really figuring out and like you said it's really not easy it is a world of its own it has a language of its own it really works it's a very very niche group so really also figuring out the documents understanding what ha- what's happening in the rooms trying to sit in and listen in and really just making sense of everything trying to keep track of the multiple different types of negotiation topics and the tracks that go on and it takes a while uh, it was a learning curve a very steep learning curve but it definitely took a while to understand the sort of process to understand what's going on how to read those documents once you've read it how to make sense of them all of that put together so it did take me a while to do that it would have been easier with some sort of mentorship with some sort of training with some people here amongst the four of us got but still had despite all of that had to do a lot of um self study self work to really understand the process which is what we're also trying to do which is one of the basic idea because we know how it feels to come to your first negotiation and to really be lost or even like my class said she was a negotiator but really just be there and have the courage to really speak despite having you know the training despite being part of the process so that's exactly what we want to try and bridge build capacity from the technical side of skills so the whole technical knowledge of the un the language the negotiations the different processes the tracks the history so on and so forth but in addition to that do a very soft skills leadership skills training really building the capacity of the young people to be able to go into a room sit in a room with 60 countries at a table and you know raise their flag and speak on behalf of their country so different levels of training and skills that we're intending to do through the program like that we're launching tomorrow and sort of leading it from there on totally the next few months on how do you sort of learn how do you engage connecting them with the sort of leaders with youth leaders but also people who've been in the field for a long time understanding from un uh, leaders to see how their process has been understanding the ins of the system so that they can effectively be a part and negotiate as part of their countries yeah so basically what i heard is that you really wish you had met yourself like today if, if you could talk to yourself from like 2015 it would have made your journey a lot easier and that's Absolutely. literally what you're doing right you're just trying to find people like you who want to make change and giving them the tools to do that so uh this is a very wide flung group of people sitting in front of me how did the four of you guys come together and say you know what i have an idea let's make it happen what was that journey like well <laughs> I mentioned having a youth negotiator um back then basically the ask what we're doing is not new young people have been since the UNFCCC was was set up been asking for actually having a seat at the table and um so there have been many young people have been demanding this and we ourselves have been demanding this as well but until the point I was actually sitting on the seat and as you have been mentioning it was super crazy intimidating and while I had the document 
written down perfectly and checked by my um, other fellow delegates, I just couldn't raise this card and it was so intimidating to, to, to actually speak up. And then I just realized, okay, we need to have something which is helping us. And I was actually fortunate enough to actually even getting a training prior, which helped me a little bit, um, which was focusing on, on women participation. And the same conference, I was elected as the global focal point for the youth constituency. So basically defending the interest of young people in the climate change process. Just casually elected as like the point person for that. That's so cool. Together with Hita. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. And this is, um, yeah, it came up again and again and again um, that we really need to set up something while we have a an, an really a growing movement of young people who want to be part, who understand the process, who want to make their voices heard on the policy level, um, but they're there as observers, so they're not part of the governmental delegations. And we need to have more bridges, that we have more young people in the delegations, um, that we can have like this... Yeah, really holistic youth movements. There are some outside of the cops, there are some inside the cops, but there are observers, but we also have the young people inside the delegations. And so Hita and myself, we talked a lot about this, but life was very stressful um, to manage <laughs> and defending the interest of young people in the process. And um, then we actually uh, got to know the lovely Sophie, um, who is doing leadership trainings for young people in other processes, but has absolutely amazing uh, skills um, on this topic, exactly what we mentioned. We need to have the soft skills and the leadership skills to actually make our knowledge, bring it to the table and actually make it actionable. And then, um, yeah, the latest edition, as Rina mentioned, was at COP26, we met Rina and yeah, then in January, our baby was um, kind of created <laughs> and it's getting born tomorrow. So that's basically the story of how the four mothers came together. The four mothers, that's 100%, that's the title of this episode. I hope you know that. <laughs> I love that. That's super cool. And I just, I just want to take a moment to recognize that youth representation is important, not only because it's a demographic that's underrepresented, but it's also the demographic that is most likely to see effects from climate change, right? We're the ones that still have 60, 70 years left to see what happens to this planet. When I was doing this when I was little, I would say, uh, we have more tomorrows left than anybody else. We get to take control of those, but we also are the ones that are going to feel those effects. And so to empower youth in this way is just on so many levels is critical right now. And it's really, really cool to see a group of young people that just say, hey, this is important and I'm going to dedicate my life to it. And that's just I just want to raise a glass to that because that's really <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Now, Sophie, as Mary Claire mentioned, you kind of have your whole own thing going on, your other business. So give us a little bit about your background and what it is that you do. Sure. So I actually trained as a scientist at university. Turns out I was a terrible scientist. Um, I dropped everything in the lab and managed to slowly make my way through my degree through friends um, supporting me in many ways. <laughs> but I realized I love talking about science and how we use science. And so I ended up specializing in the philosophy of science. And as part of that, I wanted to know what did good science look like? How do we use good science? And so as a result, I thought, oh, well, the place I'll go for my job will be the biggest consumer of science, or so I thought, was the UK government. Um, so I joined the UK civil service um, straight after university. And I really loved the kind of the problem solving. But I'll tell you what, I was really grumpy throughout my entire time there. And I couldn't put my finger on what it was that really annoyed me until I realized one day it was leadership. I did not believe that the leaders around me were equipped to handle the challenges that they were facing. And also I was being promoted really fast and I didn't feel equipped to handle the leadership <laughs> challenges that I was being asked to, to, to make. And so I discovered that my real passion was about leadership and how we could create the next generation of effective ethical leaders. 
So as part of that, I started volunteering with the Future Leaders Network. We're a not-for-profit organization aimed at discovering and developing the next generation of leaders um, in the United Kingdom, but hopefully the world um, uh, when we're through with it. Um, and I was so I was selected to represent the UK at the G7 Youth Summit um, back in 2016. Um, I went out to Tokyo, Japan, and I represented young people's voices in the G7, which is the group of seven the world's so-called seven most advanced democracies. Um, they come together every year, world leaders of those. Um, there's a youth summit part of that and I was selected to represent UK youth voices there. And through that, I um, I kind of worked my way up in, in the Future Leaders Network and was appointed chief exec back in 2019. And I guess we we stem from the fact that like leadership matters. It matters at a really personal level. You know, we all have had those feelings where you want to jump out of bed because you're super excited to go to work and you feel you've got autonomy and, you know, you're excited about the work that you can do. Or you can be completely demotivated and be like, I don't want to go in and face my boss who is just driving me insane right now. And that is really personal, but it can affect communities, whether they're divided or united, and it affects the world. You know, the biggest issues of today, um, climate change is one of them, but poverty, injustice, any of those big issues will not be solved by one individual or institution alone. It will be solved by global leadership. And so I kind of, um, yeah, took the leap to leave the civil service, run the Future Leaders Network full time. Um, and as part of that, as Marie-Claire um, has alluded to, we run the youth engagement processes for the G7 and the G20 processes. So we've got really good experience of preparing and working with young people to give them the skills. So as, as kind of we've talked about, the soft skills, you know, understanding how power works. How do you brush shoulders with someone in the corridor? How do you deliver an impactful intervention? How do you have the courage to disagree with someone? Um, that's the stuff that is our kind of bread and butter. And that's what I think makes this team really wonderful is that, you know, these guys have the amazing understanding of climate change negotiations, which I'll be honest, is still bamboozling to me, even though I went to COP26 last year. These guys have the amazing understanding of the kind of the technicality and the, the kind of the substance of the climate change stuff. I bring to this a kind of rigor of, of kind of development of learning, um, of leadership thinking that I think means together we can create climate change negotiators of the future who will go on and hopefully make the agreements that will change the world. So I'm just going to go ahead and book you guys now for like a 30 minute just pep up session in my leadership skills because it sounds like you really know what you're talking about. <laughs> As youth, you know, still considered youth, like you said, all the way to age 35, you're obviously all professionals in your field. Have you found that at these conferences, do people take you seriously or do they think like, oh, youth, whatever, and they just kind of look over you? Like, what has your experience been? And I can tell by the laughing that it's definitely been an experience. So I get the sense that you make them take you seriously. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I've had different experiences, but a lot of the times, especially with um, when you speak to especially some country delegations, sometimes also my own. Um, you're also treated as a child out of kindergarten, very rightly so, like literally being asked the very basic terminology, asked if you if you understand your way around. And um, well, these questions six years ago, yes, I, I would have appreciated them. But when you've met these people year after year, at least two times a year for six years, um, I would assume that they would also understand that I am growing in the process and <laughs> learn through it. So it is quite a challenge to really ensure that Despite the age, the knowledge does not really matter. And I probably look younger than I am anyway, so that's anywhere another problem that adds on to it. There are lots of times where, of course, when you interact with people who know your background, who understand where you come from, you're taken very seriously. And then, you know, it, it's absolutely fine, even if they're like 30 years older than you, 
there's no difference there but there are times when there are people who will really just look at you and say oh okay you're in this room as well do you know what you know abc is and i'm just like thanks you know this is not my first time i'm walking into the room but <laughs> so there is really differences within the same set of people that you meet uh, on how they really look at you just because you're young just because you're a young woman so to say not just you're young so it it's definitely been a very interesting sort of experience over the years and i it just what i've learned is just how you deal with it and how you sort of respond to that in each situation just i think hopefully gets better with time can i um can i hop in cuz yeah, i got please, like a, a, like another angle i guess on this which is um last year because the uk hosted the g7 presidency my organization the future leaders network ran all of the youth engagement for that and what was super interesting was that um so the g7 has a bunch of engagement groups like the business 7 and the science 7 and the women 7 but last year, the youth seven, so the the constituency that I guess I represented, were like the sexiest in town, seriously. And that is because we worked with our young people and we said, you know, so we are the youngest engagement group, both in terms of the age of the people part of it, but also the amount of time that has been established as a, as a mechanism of the process. And so we take it really seriously, right? Like we prepare ourselves to going into those meetings. We know exactly what we want to get out of it. We are thoughtful. We are respectful. But we also like love our energy our dynamism we are unafraid to be who we are and as a result people loved it I mean it was amazing we got more interactions with prime ministers and ministers and like decision makers than any of the other engagement groups because I do think young people are being recognized now as like uh, yeah as I say the, the like the sexy word right like it, it feels like they're kind of the the movement that people are kind of excited about whilst I'm not particularly excited about tokenism I'm not excited about having you know young people deliver an inspirational speech and then like you can you know go back off to the back room and we'll ignore you I think there is something about us taking that opportunity and saying us having our views heard is the first step in also then being able to participate in those decision making processes and having real influence so I think you know young people are kind of on the up not just because they will soon become the the kind of world's biggest generation <laughs> young people really are finding their place in the world maybe I can also add a personal anecdote to it so Go when I it. was negotiating and I was not negotiating as a youth negotiator I was actually negotiating as a normal delegate at the age of 23 so I was of course the youngest um, but I was equal in my delegation and also I felt very equal in my delegation but when you go out there and I was actually approached in one of the negotiation rooms by an older negotiator who wanted to talk to the Swiss uh, team and I said, told them yeah of course have a seat we can we can have a chat right and he was like no no I would like to talk to the delegation and I'm like yeah I'm part of the delegation as you can see on my card and you can see here is Switzerland represented and then he just looked at me confused and shake the head and walked away so he clearly couldn't understand that a young female person can actually sit on a negotiation seat and she's not only the secretary or the note taker or something but actually a person in a position of taking the decisions and this is happening unfortunately very very often that young people are not recognized as right holders we are not recognized for our knowledge we are having but very often seen as in this sterilized okay there's the young people they maybe go out on the street they're shouting but they actually don't have the understanding of the knowledge of the space also but what Hita shared it's very frustrating when you have to explain over and over and over again that you actually understand these acronyms and you actually understand what these negotiations are going on and for me a very Actually, relieving part was also because when you're going to negotiation, especially my first one, it was completely overwhelming. It was very frustrating. And I actually felt exactly how these people see us. 
Um, but when I was actually a negotiator, I realized that the negotiators also do not know and understand everything. And it was actually very relieving because suddenly like, okay, they're also humans and they also sometimes can't find the documents and they also sometimes don't understand the abbreviations. So I think it's very important to also realize that it's very complex and um, there is not a matter of age, but a matter of getting the right training. This is exactly what we want to do to provide everything what is needed to bring young people up to speed and hopefully make them um, an easier entry point, but also like really having great outcomes in the intergenerational way, because we do believe that it's absolutely crucial to work across generations because every generation has its own set of important stakes bringing into the negotiation and discussions. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love, literally, we could do a 90 minute podcast on this. We're, we're <laughs> closing in on a time here. And usually when we are ending our podcast, we ask people sitting down with us, what kind of advice they would have for people that want to follow in your footsteps, right? People that are, are younger than you that are trying to do what you're going to do, which I am going to ask that question. But I also would love for somebody to give me an insight into what do you wish you could tell the older generation, grab them by the shoulders and say, hey, this is what's important. I mean, I'm sure it's gonna be like, hey, listen to the youth, right? That's That's ultimately the bullet point. But if you were to give some like, actionable items on how to do that what would you guys say to the older generations to follow your cause my first thought would be we shouldn't even have this segregation as younger generation and older generation we're all facing this problem and we all have to come together to find the solution how does the age matter to what you know about something and what action that you can take Eight-year-olds are scientists today, things that 60-year-olds could not really do. So there is no connection between age and knowledge. It is really important that we don't really look at it as different generations and we actually look at everybody as individuals and look at them for the capacity that they bring with them and really work together to solve the problems because honestly, this is not rocket science. We've gone to the Mars, we've gone to the moon. We're in fact thinking about going and like inhabiting different planets. Why can't we really solve this problem, right? So it is actually quite simple if we all come together and if we don't really look at this as a barrier and like actually make, these are all man-made barriers. We are the ones who are creating it. So older generation, younger generation, actually let's say no generation, yeah. I love that. So a little more specific than what Chance said about asking, you know, how can someone follow in your footsteps? I know a lot of people, not just youth or, you know, every generation are feeling discouraged. Like you see so much happening in the world and you're just like, do we even have time to fix anything? Like, is there anything we can do? So in the time, I'm sure you guys have felt it too. Like when you feel discouraged, how do you overcome that? And what would you tell to other people? people of any age that feel discouraged about the current climate. Maybe you can give some ideas on how I deal with it. So I think first it's very important to understand your why. So why I'm spending so much time day and night on, on this. Why have we been working the last four months to launch this tomorrow? And um, if you understand your why, you, you are going to overcome the challenges because there are going to be a lot of challenges, a lot of rocks thrown on your path. And if you understand why you're doing it, nothing can stop you. Um, the second one is really under asking questions. We cannot do it alone and we have to be encouraged and empowered to ask questions and um, be able to also listen then to the answers, even if they're maybe uncomfortable, even if maybe they do not agree with what we have been thinking. And that's been an amazing learning process also for us by doing a lot of stakeholder interviews and really listening. What are the challenges and problems others 
are are facing. And I think the last one is really not being afraid of just starting it. We are not going to the point where everything is set and it's like the right moment to launch something. We literally, January, we're like, okay, let's just start it. We were nowhere to be ready, but we kind of kickstarted it. And this is where we are now, four months later. And I think the very last point I want to mention, take care of your mental health, take care um, of not burning out, really going into nature for me. Like I'm taking at least one day going off without my phone, without my laptop, going to nature, really connecting to what I work for and where I feel uh, home and where I feel safe. So I think it's very important to really connect with nature around us. I also strongly believe in the fact that there are lots of different problems around us. But what you can do is do things with intention, do things right. And maybe you are not going to be able to fix it. But it's okay. You did your best. And I think that's the way to go forward. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Actually, one of the like the hashtags that we use, that I use a lot at home, is like progress over perfection. So if you aim for something that's perfect, you, like it's inherently terrifying because there's so much to be done. But actually, if you can take one step and get it slightly better than the last step was, that is so important. And I think if you can break it down into that, yeah, okay, maybe you're not going to be able to like turn your um, emissions into zero, but maybe you can reduce it by a little bit by walking or by by, you know, not stopping eating meat maybe as often or, or, or for good, you know, like make the small choices and make the small steps because without doing those, you'll never reach perfection. You'll just stay stood still. Um, but, you know, have the bravery, have the courage to get started. I think that's what something that we've all really kind of connected with as a group. It's kind of reflecting on the last you know, four months that we have developed this program in, um, we had the bravery and the courage to say, you know, there's a problem and we want to solve it. No one else is solving it yet here's our idea of a solution. Let's go take it forward. Let's see whether we can make it happen. And that's why we were so excited about tomorrow is that it feels like that bravery is kind of reaching its pinnacle. And you're making it happen. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you all, thank you so much for taking your time and sitting down with us. Uh, I'm so excited about this initiative you guys are launching. Do you guys have a website yet? Yes, Yes, we do. (laughs) Okay. So what is that website? Uh, It's www.youthnegotiators.org. So if you're listening and you'd like to be involved with this, scroll down to the show notes. I'm going to drop that link right there so you guys can go straight from listening to checking out what they've got going on. And yeah, thanks y'all for being on the show. Thank you so Thank much you for having you. us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conservation Connection. If you enjoyed our podcast, go ahead and subscribe to make sure you catch every episode that we post. We'd love to hear from you. So if you want to reach out, go to our website, lastchanceendeavors.com backslash contact and shoot us an email. We love questions from our listeners. So if you heard something that you want to know more about, be sure to let us know. If you've got a minute to spare, leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts will help other conservation-minded people find the show. We'd really appreciate it. A big thanks to the people working to protect our planet and a big thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to tune in next week.